Well, here we are just cracking the door open on the new year, just a few steps in, trying to see if there are any monsters hiding in the closet, hoping and praying for a different kind of uh, calendar year. Uh, as I mentioned before in, in the series, uh, Great Awakening, Living in the Light of Revelation, uh, these days, th- this, this past year, we have been asking many of the same questions that the church nearing the end of the first century was asking. Questions like, why is this happening? Are, are we meant to learn something from all of this? Uh, how do we now live in light of a larger story? And, and this is important. Where should we fix our eyes when things seem dark, when there's so many things in front of us? And on the, 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 the ongoing answer we find in the book of Re- Revelation is that when the powers of the world seem dangerous, when the situations pandemically, politically seem out of control, Nothing is a better remedy for fear than being transfixed by the person and power of Jesus Christ. So as I've been mentioning throughout the series, the book of Revelation written to the church in the first century is not only about the past, it's not only about the future, it is about the church universal and historical. It is for all time. It is for you and it is for me. The problems and the struggles faced by early Christians are the struggles faced by Christians of all ages. Questions like, where do we find strength when it seems like evil is winning? It's, it's a reminder that our, our first political affiliation is to the Lamb of God, who was revealed in power. Get this, he was revealed in power after his suffering. So there is suffering involved in following him. That should not be a surprise, but there is also the continued promise of glory. That suffering Lamb is on the throne. It's also a reminder that we should not find our ultimate hope in, in earthly governments, even if those, those governments are promising rights to the churches or, or, or things like that. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord, not Caesar, not the president, not the prime minister, and his kingdom comes through suffering, not petitions and politics. Revelation is a, is a tearing back of the veil. That is what apocalypse means, and it is meant to give a worried questioning church, a cosmic eternal view of our current situation. And it does that over and over by drawing our eyes towards Jesus, the lamb on the throne, the cosmic Christ. In the second and third chapter of Revelation, Jesus describes himself as as a priest in the temple walking among the lampstands, examining the the churches to make sure that they are staying lit and will remain lit even when things are difficult. Each of these lampstands represents a church in in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. But more than that, they represent the church as a whole. You and I see a church. The churches that surround us and around the world. There are seven churches in Revelation, the number of completion and fullness. So we don't read this as distant observers or simply for academic reasons. We read it and we take it to heart because it was meant for us. That's why in each message to each church, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If your allegiance is to the Lamb, then listen. As a good friend of mine told me, was reminding me of this week, Pastor Tim Challen. He reminded me that calling this section the seven letters to the seven churches is, is misleading since each of these churches would have received each of the other letters and gleaned from them, each of the messages. And so really, this is one letter to seven churches. Today, we look at chapter three of Revelation. And in chapter three, Jesus speaks to the church in Sardis. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6. And this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But with each message to the church. Each message to each of the churches, Jesus has been referring back to the initial revelation of himself in chapter 1, verses 9 to 20, a constant reminder of the authority and the validity of these words that are spoken to the churches and all the rest of the book of Revelation that we'll be unpacking for the next months. There is no higher authority than the cosmic Christ who is the first and the last, who has the final say concerning death, who has the very characteristics of God himself and is, in fact, the fullest expression of God. So, listen up. These are the words from him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, it says in verse 1. The fullness of God's spirit and the fullness of creation are his. So, above Caesar... Above all other authority, his words stand and have weight. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And in verse 2, he says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You might look good on the outside. You, You may appear to have it all together, but do not think I am just after a shiny veneer or an impressive facade. I mean, what a challenging message for, for many in the modern church, for many modern churches. Concerned with a slick look and an efficient model, where we want to copy the ministry models of other churches who have who have what we've labeled as success? Sardis, you you look good. You have a a slick online service. Who doesn't want a slick online service? We do. You worship, your your worship team is is skilled. Your pastor's funny. He makes good jokes. He dresses well. He's got a great haircut. The world looks from the outside. Other churches look at you and they are impressed. I mean, all the conferences are at your church to learn how you're doing it. But he says, don't believe your own hype. Don't believe your own Instagram posts and your Facebook ads. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. While everyone is lauding you for being alive, you are on the verge of death. You are one step away from falling and you need to wake up. Don't don't get lax in your faith. I I grew up going to to Green Bay Bible Camp in, in West Bank, just outside of Kelowna. 
It's where I first watched people water skiing and, and learning how to water ski. And all afternoon, every day of the week uh, on the dock, people would, skier after skier would be led in front of the dock and, and, and they would let go of the rope. And I remember them watching them slowly skim across the water and then, and then sink into the water. And usually the boat driver would slow down uh, when they came by the dock and make sure the skier you know, didn't come whipping in too fast. But sometimes they'd come in a little fast and, and it would take time for the person, once they've let go of the rope, to kind of descend into the cold lake. They'd skim across the water quite a ways. Now here's the thing. When, when you first let go of a rope behind a speedboat going top speed, you can glide for quite a while. In fact, if someone was to look up just after you let go of the rope, they, well, they would think you didn't need a boat. For a second, you, you might even think that you're, you're propelling yourself. Look at, look at me go. I don't, I don't need a boat. But sooner or later, if you've let go of the rope, you are going to slow down and you're going to sink. It's the same with our faith. When we try to live lives of faith without being tethered to the object of our faith, we might glide for a while. We might even look good to people watching, self-sufficient, free of disaster. But a slow fade is coming. It's true to us as individuals, and, it, and it's true to us as a church. As a church, we must continue to be prayer-reliant, spirit-led, Christ-tethered people. And the reminder to the Christian community in Sardis is a warning for us. And Revelation 3 says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Well, whenever the New Testament writers talk about what was received and what was heard, they're speaking of the gospel, the good news, the, the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. And don't forget that last part, the reign of Jesus. It's so important to the church being drawn into, in, in their day, emperor worship. Being, being blinded by the glory and the power of Rome. The, the end of the good news is that Jesus is above them all and will have the last word. He sits on the eternal throne. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, Jesus says. Literally, he says, if you do not, be, if you do not stay watchful, like a watcher at a gate, always alert. This is an ongoing concern of Jesus that we stay watchful. In Matthew 24, verse 42, he says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know at what day your Lord is coming. In Matthew 25, verse 13, he says, Watch, therefore stay watching, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 to 37, he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him once, once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Sardis, church of Sardis, church, C-A church, keep watch because I am Returning, the only question will be, will you see me as a thief, unexpected and unwelcome, or like your long-awaited savior and friend and king whom you've been waiting for and expecting? I don't know if you've ever had pop-in visits. I have. Or, or the guest shows up that you, you forgot was coming and you're not ready and the house is a mess and you're still in your Zoom call pajamas and 
You know, you feel unprepared and you start kicking clothes under the couch, quickly throwing things in closets, quickly grabbing garbage and tossing it in the garbage on your way to the door, or maybe just, you know, ducking behind furniture and hoping they'll leave because you weren't ready for them. Jesus says, I'm coming. Live as though I'm coming. Most of us have read, read stories of, of people who've, who've attacked family members or in some horrible cases, even shot at family members or at friends because they thought there were thieves in their home breaking in in the middle of the night, that there was a stranger in their home when really it was a, a family member. How will Christ find his church? So this is why we practice things like Advent. And why I think that Advent is of extreme importance, why it was important for us to look at that in, in, in December. It reminds us to keep watch, to anticipate, and to be animated in the hope of his return. It's why we practice the Lord's Supper as a church, communion. It's a consistent reframing of the story we are in and the need for the Spirit of Christ to sustain us. It's how we keep watch as a church. It's how we anticipate. So when Christ comes, we can say... We're so glad you're here. We've been expecting you. Now, as is always the case with Revelation, the news is not all bad. There's what we might call a remnant in Sardis. Throughout Scripture, there's always a remnant. Those who are not content to rely on themselves, to, to drift on top of the water and call it skiing, but who are relying on the relationship with Jesus as the definition of who they are and to whom they belong and serve. In Revelation, they're wearing unsoiled white robes, it says in verse 4, chapter 3. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I love that he says there are a few names. Not, Not faceless, nameless people, but people known to Jesus. He sees and he knows. They are robed in white. As we've mentioned before, when we see white robes in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it's, it's talking about those who belong to Jesus, those who, who make it through because they are dressed in the Lamb's white robes, robes associated with cleansing and holiness, holiness by association with the cleansing work of the Lamb. We see this later on in, in chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if there was any question of who these people were, we learned that in verses 13 and 14. Then the, one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, I love this. And I said to him, sir, you know, like, I don't know, you, you tell me. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Those in white robes are those who live in complete reliance on the work of the Lamb to give them cleansing and wholeness. And who, although they walk through tribulation and struggle, have their place in the future kingdom of God. Jesus says, there are some in your community, Sardis, who see the bigger picture, who've not wavered in their allegiance to the Christ who haven't wavered in their allegiance and been caught up by the lures of the world. Reliance on earthly comforts and powers haven't caused them to waver. 
Man, can we say that of ourselves? Can we say that of our, of our church? Perhaps a message to those who are, are quick to leave a church that is drifting can be, can be found here. You talk to people who, who leave a church, they say it's hypocritical. It's not doing the work of the gospel. Notice Jesus doesn't say to these people, it's time to find another church. Perhaps the call for those who, who see a church dying is to be a part of its resuscitation. Or maybe in very critical situations, be part of its resurrection. I, I've been in many conversations with those who've been frustrated by the church, who have a critique for the church, and many times rightly so. But often I've, I've asked, well, what are you going to do about it? The response has been a depressing well, I'm going to go find another church that thinks the way I do. But I think we need a larger version of what it means to be the church and to love the church. It's to be a part of its repentance and a tool of its reorienting towards Christ. These people who say, I'm going to be quick to leave and find a church that, that thinks the way I do, the right kind of church. I, I'm always mindful of a pastor years ago who said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. See, there's something about being clothed in righteous robes. There's, there's always a reminder that those robes are a gift. White robes are, are, are not a reminder of being better. They're a reminder of being bought. We're called to remind each other of our white robes. So many people need to be reminded of their white robes. And I think there's also a reminder here and throughout Revelation that it's not about what you, it's about you and your white robe. It's about the community of the white rope. <laughs> All of us aiming towards the throne as the community of the Lamb. It, it kind of turns the idea of what do I get out of my local church to how do I serve my local church? What do I need to sacrifice for my church community? What do I need to be a part of renewal to do to be a part of renewal in my church? Reminding my brothers and sisters of their white robes and how to live unblemished lives. I'll tell you, that'll change the way we approach church. It'll change the way we approach our community, the way we approach worship, the way we look at discipleship. Well, the final words of the cosmic Christ here are, are sobering. In verse 5, it says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. This is an important call to persevere, an important call to, res to resilience, to not drift, to keep allegiance to the Lamb on the throne, to say that those in the white robes will not be blotted out of the book of life seems to imply that some will be. It seems a strong warning to have a faith that does not cash out, does not mail it in, that does not see faith as an agreement to a set of orthodox idea, ideas, but as one scholar calls it, embodied allegiance to Christ. The, the Christian faith is not a cognitive agreement to orthodox ideas. It's an embodied allegiance to Christ the King. And Scripture makes it clear that our faith is not simply based or, or lived off of a confession we made in years past, but on an ongoing confession through word and deed with our lives. I know your works, says Jesus. I see, I've seen what you've been doing, and you're living off a past reputation. You're drifting. That cannot and will not last. 
In Sardis, like in all the seven churches mentioned in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, there was no shortage of option, options for allegiance. And, and surrounding those options was a culture that said the gods are happy to share allegiance. Oh, and by the way, the emperor is also happy to, to have you show allegiance to him in the same way you would show it to a god. But Jesus makes it clear he's looking for far more than lip service, far more than a little incense sprinkled on the altar. The cosmic Christ is not to be placed in the pantheon of the gods of Rome. But there's also another danger here, not simply that we, we do not worship or, or give our hearts to other gods or the emperor or the empire, but that the worship we give him is hollow, is full of action, but without a heart of ongoing, perpetual, white-robed identity. Do not rely or find your strength or identity in the works of the past and the confessions of the past. Rather, like Joshua, Jesus calls out, choose today whom you will serve. And by the way, it's the same choice tomorrow and the next day and the day after that until he comes. Every day we wake up, we are being asked to give allegiance. Allegiance with our time, allegiance to ideologies, and allegiance to acceptable worldviews. And that's not new. This has been the demand of our world since the birth of the church. And the demand of Christ has not changed either. Stay on watch. I am coming. Do not be found asleep. Do not be found unaware. Remember, repent, and stay awake. Jesus, I pray that as we step into this new year, you would put a fire in our hearts and a desire to pursue, pursue you. There are so many things we're excited about this week, this, this year as we step in. We want things to look different. We want to uh, leave so many things behind. We want to leave COVID behind. We want to leave animosity in the political realm behind. But I, I pray our greatest joy and our greatest anticipation of this year would be our pursuit of you and a desire to solidify more and more each day, to come to you more and more each day and say, my devotion, my allegiance is to you. I will stay awake and I will anticipate your return with great joy and with great hope. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Church, as I've been leaving you with this blessing, I do so again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and may he give you his eternal peace. I love you and I can't wait to see you again. <laughs>